welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! Hebrews chapter 1, I'll read verses 5 and 6 from the first chapter, and then a passage as well from Hebrews chapter 2. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Now Hebrews chapter 2, 10 to 14. 10 to 13. For it was fitting that he... For whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be granted to us that we would know your word, that you would illumine us to hear your speech to us. Father, thank you that the Spirit delights in bringing us back into fellowship with you through Jesus crucified and resurrected for us. Jesus, because you died and rose again, you greet us with grace and forgiveness and mercy. Whether we engage this sermon this morning from places near to you or far from you, would we hear Jesus welcome and say yes? By the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to follow and be changed, be molded, be comforted, be challenged to be a disciple of Jesus in this world. Lord, be with us now, we pray. Bring us to yourself, bring us to each other, even in these virtual spaces, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. At some point over the past 20 or 30 years, I think this phrase has been coined, a love-hate relationship. I actually did a little bit of a dive this week trying to figure out who coined that phrase, where did it come from? I don't know. But I think most of us, we know what a love-hate relationship is. When we engage with something, whether it's a thing or a person or whatever, when on one hand it feels good, it feels life-giving to us, it feels fulfilling to us, but then on the other hand, it feels kind of not good, not right, not healthy, and demeans us in some way. But the whole dynamic of a love-hate relationship with is that we can't quit it, but then on the other hand, it's hard for us to stay with it as well. And so for you, what are some of the things with which you have a love-hate relationship? Here are a couple for me. Philadelphia sports. After the Sixers were bounced by the Celtics 
it seems like the NBA playoffs have specifically been designed to torture Sixers fans. Or here's a joke for you. The Philadelphia Eagles, that's a whole joke. So Philadelphia sports, love-hate relationship. Also food. More often than I would want to admit, do I have a conversation like this with myself in the mirror? Jim, you're in your 40s right now. Why do you keep eating like a 23-year-old? This has got to stop. So get thee behind me, cheeseburger. I have a love-hate relationship with food. Or I have a love-hate relationship with Philadelphia sports. After the Sixers were bounced by the Celtics, it seems like the NBA playoffs were specifically designed to torture Sixers fans. Or here's a joke for you. The Philadelphia Eagles, that's the whole joke. Love-hate relationships. And so here's another thing that we have a love-hate relationship with. Relationships. Isn't it true, if we think about it for a second here, that we can tend to have a love-hate relationships with relationships? And here I mean less romantic relationships, although that's a subset, talking more generally about friendships or community. What do you think about people? Isn't it true that a lot of the time people drive us crazy? People frustrate us, people drain us, people hurt us in multiple ways. And we can say to ourselves, I'm done. I'm done with community. I'm done with friendships. It's just not worth it to me. And so we build up our walls, barricading ourselves from other people. But where does that leave us? There's an up-and-coming singer-songwriter from New Jersey named Bruce Springsteen. You heard it here first. And on one of his albums, Tunnel of Love, there's a song titled When You're Alone. And I've been asked this for a long time. I'm finally going to say yes to it. Jim, can you please sing the chorus to the Bruce Springsteen song, When You're Alone? Yes, I will, this one time. And it goes like this. When you're alone, you're alone. When you're alone, you're alone. When you're alone, you're alone. When you're alone, you ain't nothing but alone. That's the chorus to this song. You are welcome. And for a lot of years, when I first heard this song, I thought, well, this is a little too on the nose. Bruce didn't put on his best songwriting hat for lyrics here. But then over time, I've come to think what that lyric, when you're alone, you're alone, what it lacks for us in artfulness, it makes up for in accuracy. When you're alone, you're alone. Sorry, boss, you could have done better, but I kind of like the lyric anyway. And so we can say, I'm done with people. I'm done with relationships. It's too tough. I can't handle it anymore. And what do we get when we build those walls? We get ourselves. Enjoy it. If I build up those walls like I do sometimes, I am stuck with myself, and that's all I got. But then on the other hand, is there any path in this world to human flourishing that does not involve human community and relationships? As far as I can tell, any in every path toward human flourishing on this planet involves relationships, involves community, but here we are stuck having a love-hate relationship with relationships. But what if? What if Jesus 
in the context of his church can help us? What if Jesus, in the context of his church, can save us? So let's talk about being alone for two parts for the rest of the sermon. Being alone, the reasons for it or the rationale. And then also being alone, how we can return to community and return to Jesus. So being alone, the rationale, and then the return. Here we go. We are in the middle of September, kicking off a new ministry year that coincides with the school year. Also a new ministry emphasis for this year. I kicked it off last week talking about community. And in these sermons, we are tying what we're going to talk about here with a book by Rusty George called Better Together, Discovering the Power of Community. And the first section of that book is called Help. People drive me crazy. And that's why we have this ingrown tendency within ourselves to want to be alone. And we're going to explore here and a couple Sundays after this barriers. What keeps us from jumping into community? We build these walls. But even if there's something inside of us that makes us want to build these walls, we did not learn that pattern from God. There's a different story when it comes to God. And so we see from the book of Hebrews, New Testament book written in light of Jesus crucified and resurrected. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but this is a wonderful meditation on the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. We see here in the couple of verses from Hebrews 1 that I read that there is a close and deep and abiding relationship within God himself. Hebrews 1, 5 and 6. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. What this passage is doing is that the author of Hebrews reaches into the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and draws one passage, one verse from the Psalms, and then also two from Old Testament history, from the book of Deuteronomy, and also from the book of 1 Samuel, talking about how, 2 Samuel rather, talking about how God the Father has this special relationship with Jesus, as Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all of God's revelation, all of God's promises have their yes and amen in Jesus, how Jesus fulfills what has been said of others before him, special relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Picture God the Father saying to Jesus the Son, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, God the Father says to Jesus, and he shall be to me a son. Let all God's angels, says God the Father, about Jesus to the angels, worship him. And remember, this is Yahweh, the one true God of the Hebrew Scriptures. Worship the Lord your God alone. Over and over again, we see in the Old Testament, and now that Jesus is revealed to the world, God the Father says, yeah, worship him too. And whether it's a passage like this, or we were in John 17 last weekend in the sermon, Jesus, the high priestly prayer back to his Father, passages like this build the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally from before time and for all of time exist in perfect relationship, union, and communion with one another. All of that is to say, within God himself is deep relationship. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, has written this about the Trinity and this relationship. The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. 
When we delight and serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and desires of the other. This creates a dance, particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other two. So it is, the Bible tells us. Each of the divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the others. This creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. Within himself, God is relationship. And so that means for us that if we build walls and say, I am not going to be in relationship, in union and communion with other people, we are violating the image of God within ourselves. We are going against our nature. We are going against God's creative purposes for us. And these barriers are still here. What are a couple of reasons as to why we don't want to push ahead? We don't want to get off our island, that's the title of the sermon series, and build relationships with other people. We can say things like this to ourselves. I want to be alone. And I don't want to practice relationship because I need to protect myself. Or I want to be alone. I don't want to be in relationship with other people because I want to have my own way. Or I want to be alone. I don't want to pursue relationships with other people because I am maxed out. I don't have the capacity to engage with others. Let's think about these more deeply. I need to self-protect. I have so many fears when it comes to building relationships with other people. Completely understandable. And probably for many of us, most of us, all of us, we have some experiences where we have let our guard down and practiced intimacy and friendship with other people, but then that intimacy, one way or another, is thrown back into our faces. When, for instance, we're misunderstood. Hey, I have told you my story, or a big part of my story, and what I'm hearing back from you is that you don't understand it and you don't get me. That really hurts. We get it. Or we might think, when you really see who I am and when I practice intimacy with you, you're not going to like the real me. I'm, I'm afraid to let you in, too fearful. Or I could think to myself, uh, if we're in a real relationship, I might find that I think you're a lot better than I am one way or another. I don't know if I can take that type of self-criticism here or if we're intimate with other people. We can simply think to ourselves, you're going to weaponize this information about me against me. You're going to misuse it. You're going to hurt me. You're going to harm me. And when that happens, we'll say things like, never again. I am done. Let's just keep building up that wall brick by brick by brick. I can't be in relationships with other people because I need to self-protect. Or another reason. Not going to be in these relationships because I want to have my own way. It is an undeniable, irreducible dynamic of relationships that if you are in genuine relationship with other people, you are going to need to bend to them, even about little things. For myself, I mentioned I love food, love, hate relationships. Part of that is I love going to restaurants, and I love going to restaurants, me and Emily, going out to eat with other people. But when we go out to eat with other people, I can get a little nervous at the same time because it's not just where do I want to go eat, where does Emily want to go eat. There's this whole other set of sentient creatures whose opinions I need to take into account when we pick a restaurant. 
and it might not be my favorite. I'm not sure about how that's going to go. What about my agenda? What about what I want? And then every once in a while I hear, hey, we're going to a shared plate or tapas restaurant. Well, I go, ah, I don't even get one thing on the menu for which I can just think about what I want. Everything needs to be conditioned by everybody else. But that's what community does. It dethrones us. It's not just about me anymore. And within our heart of hearts, so much of the time, there's this back and forth where I can think to myself, and hopefully I'm not the only one, I think, where yes, I should value other people and their interests, but what I really want is what I really want. And what I really want is my agenda over the needs, thoughts, opinions, and lives of other people. That makes community difficult. Or we can think to ourselves, I am maxed out. I don't have any more capacity, whether it's emotional capacity, whether it's time and energy capacity, I just got nothing left. And 2020 is a year where our capacities are burned out and burnt up in so many different ways. I am so stressed. I am so fragile. I don't think I can actually do community right now. And so we build the walls and say, this is too much for me, I can't do it. Now, if you're listening to this as a Christian, and hopefully we feel some commonality here, feeling these stresses for relationships, but still, if at the end of the day, I say, I'm not gonna, as a follower of Jesus, do relationships because it's too tough, I need to understand, we need to understand, that we are not only closing off ourselves from other people, we are closing ourselves off from God. We are not only missing losing other people, we are missing and losing some vital aspects of our experience of God himself. Rusty George, the author of Better Together, the book about community, has written this. We experience God in many ways. We can experience God's presence in nature, music, the arts, work, or achievement. Yet, None of these pathways comes close to how we can experience God's presence in community. It is people who are created in God's image. The most distraught, broken down, hurting person is more beautiful than the most incredible ocean sunset or snow-covered mountain. Only people share the image of God. Sometimes people can drive us crazy and often people are the problem. Yet, in God's economy, people are also the solution. We best experience God in the context of other people. And also, if you're tuning in to this Sunday morning as somebody who's a spiritual seeker, a skeptic, I'm not sure where I am with all of this Christianity stuff, with all of this Jesus stuff, I, I hope that you would at least begin to see that these diagnoses of some problems that block us from community, they are real problems, just not, not nice little tidy Christian problems. But these are things that really bum us out and make community hard. And we can play a shell game within ourselves where we'll try to modulate the dials a little bit and say, okay, I will try to have relationships, but just on my own terms so that I can still self-protect a little bit, so that I can still get my way most of the time, so that I can be in relationship only when I'm at a bandwidth rich point. But those aren't real relationships. How can we truly move past these barriers Christian or skeptic, what are our resources for being able to do so? And why don't we return to Jesus 
and find every reason, find every resource for what we need to find community, union, and communion with God through Jesus and with other people. Let's return. You see, if we build our walls, where does that leave us? It leaves us alone with old crooks. Way back in middle school in one of my English classes, Miss Harrington, if you're out there, sure you're watching. I really enjoyed your class. We read Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck, and there was a passage about this older black man named Crooks that stayed with me for all of these years. He's excluded from community and is super lonely. This is what he says. Suppose you didn't have nobody. Suppose you couldn't go into the bunkhouse and play cards, rummy, because you was black. How'd you like that? Suppose you had to sit out here and read books. Sure, you could play horses till it got dark, but then you got to read books. Books ain't no good. A guy needs somebody to be near him. A guy goes nuts if he ain't got nobody. I tell you, a guy gets too lonely and he gets sick. Do you know who agrees with Crooks about how it's not good for us to be alone? God himself. We read at the very beginning of the scripture story in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, when God created our first parents, Adam and Eve. When God first created Adam, he said, wait a second, Adam, this looks really good, but at the same time, it is not good for man. It is not good for humanity to be alone. And so a companion community is created for humanity. It's not good for us to be alone. And for all of the strangeness of those early chapters of the book of Genesis, strike modern ears, here is a modern chord. It is not good for us to be alone. Creation is good. God creates all of these different things, and he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. It is not good, however, that we be alone. And that, again, models the relationship that God has within himself. Hebrews chapter 1, you are my son, today I have begotten you. I will be to Jesus a father, and he shall be to me a son. We see relational delight within God himself, and that relational delight is extended, is offered to us through Jesus. Our passage from Hebrews chapter 2. And whether it's the worship PDF or you have a Bible handy, I'd encourage you to go and take a look again at Hebrews chapter 2. Let's skip over just for a second Hebrews 2.10 and start with verse 11. It's a little hard to understand, but I think it'll be worth it. For he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's the church, all that believe in Jesus, all have one source. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers, us, brothers and sisters, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Jesus offers to us community at a couple of different levels. One level of community is that Jesus brings us back into community with God. We saw that last week when Jesus prayed in John 17, I in them, Father, the church, and you, Father, in me. We are brought back through Jesus as we believe in him and trust him and follow him and put our weight and trust upon him back into relationship with the one who in himself is relational delight. I will tell of your name to my brothers. Father, I'm going to bring these people back. And not only that, we are brought into a congregation with one another. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And the best part of all of this is that it occurs by grace. 
because Jesus is crucified and resurrected. That verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 2. For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect. That God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. In some mysterious way, the career of Jesus on earth would have been incomplete, not perfected in the language of this verse, had Jesus not died. But that's exactly what he did. He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross so that we, as we come to him in faith, can know that we are completely and eternally forgiven the debt has been canceled by Jesus and his good person and good work so that we can be accepted by God forever and totally secure. That is the good news of Jesus as a new heavens and new earth is being prepared for us. And it is grace and grace alone that is able to power through these barriers that block us from community. There are different aspects of the gospel that are at play here. The gospel, the story, the good news of Jesus of Nazareth crucified and resurrected. We find in this story, in this gospel, things like gospel security and gospel surplus and gospel sufficiency. Gospel security. We can wall ourselves up from relationship and say, I don't want to be hurt. I'm too afraid of getting hurt. I have all of these fears related to these relationships. But understand that Jesus died for you and gives you a secure relationship with himself. Hurt hurts. Relational hurt hurts. Whether it, it's misuse or weaponized against us in different ways, Jesus by grace gives you healing for past relational hurts that you may have experienced. And we're able to locate our sense of self and our acceptance in a source that is certain, namely Jesus himself. And if we know, and because Jesus did all the heavy lifting, it's because how awesome he is and not how awesome we are, our relationship, our standing before God is secure in Christ, then it's okay. We don't have to be completely understood by other people. We can deal with that. We can have some shield and some protection so that we can be vulnerable even at some relational risk to us yeah, we might get hurt, but you know what? Jesus loves us and he's got us so that we can push through past that barrier. I need to self-protect because Jesus has died and has risen for us and also surplus. We can think, I just don't have the capacity for any more relationship. I am fried. Emotional capacity, I am fried. Time capacity, I am fried. Energy capacity. Jesus gives us more. One of the verses from the Gospel of John, again, that I remember reading when I was in college that have stayed with me, is from John chapter 7, where Jesus says, we find here, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Jesus says, come to me and drink, and out of your heart will flow streams of living water. And this is one of those Bible verses where experientially it's either true or it's not. Try Jesus and see, Jesus, is it actually true that as I come to you 
and all of my sins and all of my flaws and all of my stumblings and all of my doubts, but still fumbling in faith toward you, that as I engage in my union with Jesus, streams of living water will flow out of me. Father, is that true? Give me that river of life running through me. In the olden days, previous generations of Christians would read their Bible and occasionally put a T and a P in the margin with a pencil. I assume this is before toilet paper was invented. That's not what the T and P in the Bible means. But for example, my grandma Jessie, I've seen this in her old Bibles, a T and a P. That means tested and proven. Where our mothers and fathers in the faith would read a passage of scripture in a time of trial and say, I'm going to pray this. I'm going to live this. I'm going to put myself out there and see if this promise of scripture is real and true to buoy me, to anchor me right now. And when that happens, they write, tested and proven, T and P. Test and prove. Jesus, will you give me this living water? I need it. I am dry. And whether we consider ourselves committed followers of Jesus or not, this is a step that we can take. Pressing into this reality in prayer, God, renew me. Relational bandwidth in Jesus Christ is a renewable resource. Relational bandwidth in Jesus Christ is a renewable resource. Jesus, fill me. I pray. I need you so that I can be somebody that reaches out to other people. And then finally, gospel sufficiency. Because Jesus is enough, you don't have to be your own boss. Whether it's choosing a restaurant for dinner or lots of other and larger life choices. This is where we can repent where we can say, you know what, it is good for me to be dethroned. I don't need to be my own Lord. I shouldn't be my own Lord. Jesus, would you be my Lord instead so that I can realize I don't need to be my own boss. I don't want to be. Jesus, you are the one that is in control of me. I am so secure. I am so filled that when things don't go my way, I am okay. Because your gospel, Jesus, is sufficient. You are enough. And this is where we'll wrap up. Two things, two tips, two challenges. For one, why don't you ask a friend or a loved one in Christ, hey, I am really struggling with some of these barriers, whether it's self-protection, whether it's wanting to have my own way, whether it's a bandwidth issue and I don't have the capacity or other barriers. Just ask a friend. I find myself running up against these barriers and falling. Could you please check in with me that I am calling out for grace in Jesus Christ, that I would scale this wall and push through to community? Would you keep me accountable? And then also, is there one person? And maybe there's more, but let's start with one. Is there one person in your life that you have shut out that instead you should let back in. And that is a step towards living and speaking and serving as Jesus' very presence wherever God has placed you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. 
Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later. <laughs>